Well, hey everybody, it's Adam Shaw, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In the last episode of our podcast, we started into a brand new series of sermons that we're calling Home, where we're talking about what we can do to have healthier relationships at home. And as we all know, that is extremely important right now during this time of social distancing, because we're spending more time than ever in our homes with our spouses, our kids, our roommates, or whoever else it is that we're living with. And right now, those relationships are starting to feel a little bit of friction. So we're talking about things that we can do to alleviate that friction. So in this episode sermon, we're going to be digging a little bit deeper into some of the reasons why we're feeling this friction, and we're going to be talking about what we can do about it. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So we're now in the second week of a series of sermons called Home, where we're talking about things that we can do to have healthier relationships at home. And this is something that's especially important during this time of social distancing because we're all spending most of our time in our homes. And at this point, there's at least a little bit of friction in our relationships with our spouses, our kids, or even our roommates. So we're talking about what we can do to relieve the tension and have healthier relationships at home. And we started out last week by laying a little groundwork for this series. So we talked about why we're all feeling this tension, and we spent a little time exploring this verse from the book of Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul tells us the most important thing we can all do to have healthier relationships. So here's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. He says, Live your life with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. So if we want to have healthier relationships, we have to live our lives with love by following Jesus' example. We have to live our lives with love by following Jesus' example. So I thought I'd start this morning by showing you an example of God's love for us. But before we get into that story, I want you to imagine yourself in first century Israel. Imagine that the day has just begun and you're arriving at the outer gates of the city of Jerusalem. You've heard stories of this legendary place for years. You've dreamt of seeing the splendor of the temple. You've imagined the opulence of Pilate's palace. You've envisioned the priests standing in their regalia in the temple courts. You fantasized about walking along the same streets that David once danced through. And now you have arrived. But you set out weeks earlier from your home on the shores of the Persian Gulf. You traveled for days on end along the banks of the Euphrates River before turning south toward Jerusalem. And your trip, it's taken its toll. Your donkey is exhausted after walking for hundreds of miles. And you are run ragged. Your feet ache. Your back hurts. Your skin burns from hours under the sun. And why did you make this long, exhausting trip? Well, you came for a religious festival. You came to celebrate alongside your people. You came to remember the anniversary of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, the day that the nation of Israel was born. You came for something called the Festival of Weeks. And now you have arrived in Jerusalem. That's got to feel like standing on the National Mall looking from the Lincoln Memorial to the U.S. Capitol building. It has to be better than standing at the base of the Empire State Building in New York City and looking straight up. It's got to be better than arriving at Cinderella's Castle for the very first time. Why? Because you're not just visiting some political site. You're not just stopping by a tourist attraction. 
You're not simply going to the most magical place on earth. You're going to a place where your life is about to intersect with the divine. A place where you will truly connect with God. So after spending a few moments taking it all in, you're once again moving forward. But now you're no longer walking at a casual pace. You've picked up your speed, moving as quickly as you can through the crowd that's gathered in the temple that day. You're excited to meet the priests. You're excited to hear what they have to say. You're excited to learn from them as they teach you about God. So by the time that you reach the first priest, your excitement is about to bubble over. You hold your hand out in greeting and begin to introduce yourself, and the priest opens up his mouth and he begins speaking to you. But you can't understand a word that he's saying. Your excitement almost instantly turns to confusion. You try to tune out all of the other noise around you and focus in on this religious leader's voice, even cupping your ear to try to amplify the sound. But what you hear seems like utter nonsense. You begin to wonder if this priest is from out of town like you, or maybe he has a thick accent from some far-off region. So you excuse yourself and you go running on to meet the next priest. Again, you stick out your hand in greeting and begin to introduce yourself, and the new priest begins to speak to you. And you still can't understand a word that he's saying. One by one, you make your way around to all of the priests that you can see, carefully navigating your way through the growing crowd. And one by one, you leave each priest unable to understand them. As you turn away from the final priest, you're on the verge of tears. As you begin walking away, you lose all control of your emotions. With tears rolling down your cheeks, you leave the temple behind. Your trip to the holy city was a complete waste. You spent weeks traveling to this place to connect with God, but none of the religious leaders spoke your language. So you head back to the post where you left your donkey, you untie him, and you prepare to go back home, utterly dejected by the entire experience. All you want to do now is leave the city that you once dreamt of visiting. Can you imagine it? Can you picture yourself in that story? Can you put yourself in that place? For most of us, that's almost impossible to do because we've never been to a place where someone else didn't speak our language. The truth is, I've only had one other experience like that in my entire lifetime. And it happened while my wife Ashley and I were on our honeymoon in Hawaii. On one particular morning, the two of us, we got up early and we headed off for a once-in-a-lifetime trip. A trip under the sea in a submarine. We had stopped by the concierge's desk in our hotel the day before to plan the whole thing out. The concierge pulled out all the information that we needed, and Ashley and I were standing there debating which submarine tour we wanted to reserve. And the concierge told us that we should book a trip as early in the morning as we possibly could. She told us that as the day goes on, the submarine kicks up more sand and more debris and it becomes harder to see any of the marine life. So we decided to take her advice and book the second submarine tour the next morning. But there was one small catch. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Hawaiian Islands are an extremely popular vacation destination for the Japanese. And it just so happened that our submarine tour catered to their Japanese clientele with their first few daily tours. So what did that mean? Well, it meant that Ashley and I could go on the submarine tour, but the entire tour would be conducted in Japanese. 
And let's just say that my entire understanding of that language is limited to what I heard in that 1980s pop song, Mr. Roboto. So as I climbed down the ladder and entered the hull of the submarine, a small part of me was worried that some emergency would pop up and Ashley and I would have no idea what was happening. It was a slightly scary thought knowing that the two of us would be sitting hundreds of feet below the surface of the ocean with no one there to just tap us on the shoulder to let us know that the submarine had sprung a leak. So I have a little idea of what it would have been like to visit the temple and find no one there that could speak my language. But that kind of scene played out frequently in the city of Jerusalem. You see, Jews from all over the world would travel to this holy city to visit God's temple in the hopes of connecting with God there. But when they arrived, there was no guarantee that anyone else would speak their native language. And that's what makes our scripture reading this morning so powerful. It's such a powerful story that I've decided to share it with you from a completely different translation that I don't use very often called The Voice. This translation attempts to transport you right into the Bible's narrative. So let's listen to these words from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the holy day of Pentecost came, 50 days after Passover, the disciples were gathered together in one place. Picture yourself among the disciples. A sound roars from the sky without warning, the roar of a violent wind, and the whole house where you are gathered reverberates with the sound. Then a flame appears, dividing into smaller flames and spreading from one person to the next. All the people present are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin speaking in languages they've never spoken as the Spirit empowers them. Because of the Holy Festival, there are devout Jews staying as pilgrims in Jerusalem from every nation under the sun. They hear the sound and a crowd gathers. They are amazed because each of them can hear the group speaking in their native tongues. They are shocked and amazed by this. The pilgrims say, Just a minute. Aren't all of these people Galileans? How in the world do we all hear our own native languages being spoken? Look, there are Parthians here and Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians and Judeans, residents of Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygians and Pamphylians, Egyptians and Libyans from Cyrene, Romans including both Jews by birth and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We're each in our own languages hearing these people talk about God's powerful deeds. Their amazement becomes confusion as they wonder, what does this mean? The skeptics say, it doesn't mean anything. They're all drunk from some fresh wine. As the twelve stood together, Peter shouted to the crowd, Men of Judea and all who are staying here in Jerusalem, listen. I want you to understand. These people aren't drunk as you may think. Look, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this isn't drunkenness. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. Hear what God says. In the last days, I will offer my spirit to humanity as a libation. Your children will boldly speak the word of the Lord. Young warriors will see visions and your elders will dream dreams. Yes, in those days, I shall offer my spirit to all servants, both male and female, and they will boldly speak my word. And in the heaven above and on the earth below, I shall give signs of impending judgment, blood, fire, and clouds of smoke. The sun will become a void of darkness and the moon will become blood. Then the great and dreadful day of the Lord will arrive and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be liberated into God's freedom and peace. 
Now picture yourself back in first century Israel, still slowly making your way back toward the outer gates of the city after leaving the temple. You're still feeling disappointed. You're still feeling uncertain. You're still feeling all alone, and you still don't understand why no one else spoke your language, and you're still wondering how you'll ever connect with God in this holy place. But then you hear something faint, something far off in the distance, but it sounds so familiar to you that your ears perk up and you strain to hear it a little bit better. The words continue to flow, and you're almost positive someone somewhere in the city is speaking your language. And not just speaking it, they're also talking about God. In your excitement, you drop the rope that's harnessed around your donkey and you go running through the streets as fast as you possibly can to try to find this voice. And as this voice grows louder, you rush around the final corner and you practically plow over the man who is speaking your language. You're astonished that someone is finally able to speak to you. So all you can do is stop and listen and hear him speak of God made human, a living, breathing person that was the Son of God. This was someone that you could have actually met face to face, someone you could have spoken to in person, a God who truly knew what it meant and what it means to be human, a God who understands what it's like to feel disappointed, uncertain, and alone. And then you hear that this God willingly laid down his life for you. He endured the worst evil that humanity could offer, being rejected, betrayed, denied, isolated, tortured, and killed. But this God came back to life and forgave all of humanity, including you, of every wrong you've ever done. And he does it because he loves you. Can you imagine it? Can you picture yourself in that story? Can you put yourself in that place? Because if you can, then this story tells us something incredible about God, as well as something that we can imitate to have healthier relationships in our lives. So what does this story tell us about God? Well, it tells us that God meets us exactly where we are by speaking our language to us. God meets us where we are by speaking our language to us. And if we want to have healthier relationships at home, we have to do the same thing for the people that we love. We have to meet them where they are by speaking their language to them. And that probably sounds a little ridiculous to you. It sounds so ridiculous that you're wondering if we're speaking the same language right now because, of course, you and everyone in your house speak the same language. But I'm not talking about the language that we use to verbally communicate to each other. I'm talking about our love language. If we want to have healthier relationships at home, we have to speak the love language of our spouse or our kids or even our roommates. And just in case I still sound like I'm speaking another language, let me take a page from Gary Chapman's book, literally, and let him explain it. This is the way that Gary Chapman explains it in his New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages, when he writes, People speak different love languages. In the area of linguistics, there are major language groups. Japanese, Mandarin, Spanish, English, Portuguese, Greek, German, French, and so on. Most of us grow up learning the language of our parents and our siblings, which becomes our primary or native tongue. Later, we may learn additional languages, but usually with much more effort. 
These become secondary languages. We speak and understand best our native language. We feel more comfortable speaking that language. The more we use a secondary language, the more comfortable, more comfortable we become conversing in it. If we speak only our primary language and we encounter someone else who speaks only his or her primary language, which is different from ours, our communication will be limited. We must rely on pointing, grunting, drawing pictures, or acting out our ideas. We can communicate, but it's awkward. Language differences are part and parcel of human culture. If we are to communicate effectively across cultural lines, we must learn the language of those with whom we wish to communicate. In the area of love, it's similar. Your emotional love language and the language of your spouse or your kids or roommate may be as different as Mandarin from English. No matter how hard you try to express love in English, if your family understands only Mandarin, you will never understand how to love each other. Gary Chapman goes on to explain that there are five primary love languages that we might speak. They are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Now let me tell you a little bit more about each one of these and see if you know which one your primary love language is. If your primary love language is words of affirmation, then actions don't speak louder than words to you. If this is your love language, unsolicited compliments mean the world to you. Hearing the words, I love you, are important. Hearing the reasons behind that love sends your spirit skyward. But insults can leave you shattered and they're not easily forgotten. Kind, encouraging, and positive words are truly life-giving for you. If quality time is your primary love language, then nothing says I love you like full, undivided attention. Being there for this type of person is critical, but really being there with the TV turned off, cell phones down, fork and knife down, and all the chores and tasks done makes a quality time person feel truly special and loved. Distractions or postponed dates or the failure to listen could hurt these relationships. Quality time also means sharing quality conversations and quality activities together. If receiving gifts is your primary love language, that doesn't mean that you're a materialistic person. Instead, you thrive on the love, thoughtfulness, and effort behind a gift. If you speak this language, the perfect gift or gesture shows that you were known, you were cared for, and you were prized above whatever was sacrificed to bring that gift to you. A missed birthday, anniversary, or a hasty, thoughtless gift would be disastrous for this kind of person. So would the absence of everyday gestures of love. For you, gifts are visual representations of love and are treasured greatly. Now, if your primary love language is acts of service, then something as simple as vacuuming the floor can be an expression of love for you. Anything that another person does to ease the burden of responsibilities weighing on an acts of service person will speak volumes to them. The words that he or she most wants to hear is, let me do that for you. But laziness, broken commitments, and making more work for them tell speakers of this language that their feelings just don't matter. Finding ways to serve speaks volumes to the recipients of these acts. If physical touch is your primary love language, then physical touch, not surprisingly, is very important to you. Hugs or pats on the back. Holding hands, thoughtful touches on the arm, shoulder, or face can all be ways to show excitement, concern, care, and love for a physical touch person. Physical presence and accessibility are crucial in these relationships, while neglect or abuse can be unforgivable and destructive. 
Physical touch fosters a sense of security and belonging in any relationship. So do you know which kind of person you are from those descriptions? Now, personally, I know that I'm a quality time kind of guy. But knowing which love language you speak isn't the most important thing here. To have healthy relationships, you have to be fluent in your spouse's, your child's, or your roommate's love language. To have healthy relationships, you have to be fluent in your spouse's, your child's, or your roommate's love language. And that starts by knowing what their love language is. So let me give you a tool to do that. You can visit this website, 5lovelanguages.com, with the number 5. On the site, under quizzes, you'll find a quiz that you can have your spouse, your kids, or even your roommate take to learn what their love language is. I did this with my family just a couple of days ago when I started working on the sermon. And i got to tell you, it was a pretty good way for us to spend a few minutes of all the time that we're spending together at home. But here's the thing. You can't just stop at knowing what your love language is or knowing what the love language of the people in your life is. You have to speak it to them, too. Even if you aren't fluent in that love language, you have to learn how to speak it. But I have to tell you that if you do, Gary Chapman has a word of warning. He says that understanding the five love languages and learning to speak the primary language of your spouse and kids may radically affect his or her behavior. People behave differently when their emotional love tanks are full. So just by learning how to speak the same love language as your family, you can start to transform your relationships. You can relieve some of the tension that you've been feeling because people behave differently when they feel like they're loved. So take some time. Learn your family's love language. Learn to speak it to them. Let them know that they are truly loved by you. Because God does the same thing for us. We're to imitate God's example, and God learned to speak our language by entering this world. We wouldn't have the relationship with God that we do if God didn't, if God didn't learn to speak our language. So take the time, imitate God, learn to speak the love language of the people in your life, and see what a difference that that makes in your relationships at home. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful that you came into this world and learned to speak our language, that you sent your son into this world to experience everything that it means to be human so that we can have a closer relationship with you. God, let us learn from your example. We all want to have closer relationships with our families, with our friends, with those people that we are living with at home right now. We want to have closer and healthier relationships, God, and you show us how. And part of that means that we have to learn to speak the love languages of the people that we're living with. So God, help us. Help us to learn their love languages. Help us to become fluent in those love languages. Help us to show our spouses, our kids, or our roommates how much they mean to us. And allow our love to transform us and to transform them. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode's sermon has helped you to think about the love language that you speak and the love language that your family members speak. And I want you to spend some time this week learning to be fluent in whatever love language it is that your spouse, your kids, your roommates, whoever else you're living with is speaking right now. And you're going to find that when you do, when you know how to communicate love with them, it's going to make a big difference in the relationship that you have with them. 
Now, next week, we're going to be talking about one more thing. One more thing that is causing some of the friction that we're feeling in our relationships at home right now. We're going to talk about what we can do to alleviate that friction. So tune back in next week for another episode of our sermon podcast. And as always, I just want to encourage you, if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, and it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. Also, if you haven't had a chance to do it yet, leave us a review. Your reviews mean a whole lot to us and they help spread the word about this podcast to other people. I hope you guys have a great week this week and we'll see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.